today and next Sunday are two sort of, uh, two sermons that's going to lay groundwork for the rest of the year. That's all I'll say for now, okay? So these next two sermons, as we launch Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, January 24th on, and also other things that we'll be talking about. So today is foundational. What I want to talk to you today, I'm going to call it Fatal Distractions. Fatal distractions. And, and let's, start with, let's start with this maybe premise, principle, truth. Busyness destroys intimacy. Busyness destroys intimacy. And the, 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 look, the reality is I don't need to sit here and come up and tell you about all the research, blah, blah, blah. You, you know this in, intuitively, experientially, that you live in the busiest culture, society, city, however you want to call it. Furthermore, you and I live in a city culture that says, I feel unproductive if my schedule is not scheduled and filled to the absolute max. And I can't feel unproductive because if I am unproductive, well, then where's my self-worth? Where's my identity? That's us. That's you. That's me. Now, there's a handful of us who don't struggle with this. So you could just sit there with a big smile on your face and go, I don't get bothered by busyness. I have plenty of time to slow down. Lots of silence. Lots of solitude. I am the antithesis, Peter, of what you're talking about. That's great for you. And I'm glad you're here today. So you could gloat and laugh at the rest of us for whom this is a struggle. Busyness destroys intimacy. Why? There are three things that are critical for intimacy. One, if you are to be in an intimate relationship with somebody, number one, that person has to feel like they are a priority to you. That person has to feel like they are a priority in your life, and your actual life actually declares that they are a priority. By the way, if you're sitting there going, I wonder if she thinks I'm a priority, ask them. Ask him, am I a priority? And if you're afraid to ask, that's a bad sign. Number two, in order for there to be intimacy, there needs to be unrushed, unhurried time together. In order for there to be intimacy, there needs to be unrushed, unhurried time together. And third component, in order for there to be intimacy, is that there needs to be listening that goes both ways. Good communication. In order for there to be intimacy, priority. Unrushed, unhurried time together. And furthermore, good communication when there is active listening. Now, if that's the case, you see why when we're busy, intimacy goes out the window. When you're busy, they are no longer a priority. You could give lifts or say, oh, you're a priority. They're no longer a priority. You never spend time just to be. Secondly, forget about unrushed, unhurried time together. Are you kidding me? Eddie, I'm home. Dinner. I'm tired. I can watch some TV. Go. Or if you're single, I'm tired. Come home. Veg, video games, Facebook. I'm unrushed, unhurried. And then third, of course, there's no communication. One of the saddest things for me is when my wife and I go out to a restaurant and I see two couples on their phones. Or I see two couples who are just eating. And literally, I kid you not, for an hour and 15 minutes, there's no conversation. Now, see, the thing is, nobody's taking notes right now. Because nothing. this is like, oh, that's brilliant insight. Y'all know this is true. Nobody's taking down notes right now. It's really good. No intimacy. But what's true in our human relationship could not be more true in our relationship with God. In order for there to be intimacy with God, if you care about that, 
He needs to be a priority in your life. In order for the intimacy with God, there needs to be unrushed, unhurried time together. In order for there to be intimacy, there needs to be great communication where you're not just talking all the time, but you're listening. See, my guess is for the vast majority of us who are spiritually apathetic, spiritually dry, whatever word you want to use, vast majority of us, if you're sitting here right now, if you're sitting here right now, it probably wasn't some big sin. A couple of us, maybe. Or some big rebellion. Here's what happened to you. You graduated from college. You got busy working. Then you got married. Then you had kids. And over time, you're sitting here now going, I can't remember the last time I spent unrushed, unhurried time with God. I can't remember the last time uh, in prayer, I wasn't just, if you have a prayer life even. But I sat there and just listened. And if I were to be really honest, not a priority. Now again, there's like two, three of you taking notes. This is nothing new. Here's a question though, and if you're a new community, this is what we do here. The question is, why do we do that? Why do we allow busyness to absolutely take control of our lives? Why do we do that? Why do you do that? Why do I do that? We find the answer in this very familiar story of Mary and Martha. By the way, I've only preached on this twice in 13 years. That tells you something. I don't like this text because I'm not living it. That's why I don't preach on it. I struggle with it. But I'm like, Lord, I need to talk about this. Because if there is a sermon that's going to lay a foundation for the rest of the year, and furthermore, circle back in emotionality, spirituality, this is you. I'm just curious. Anybody sitting here going, that was a waste of time. I shouldn't have come today. I don't know. I don't struggle with this. Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Good. We're on the same page then. Luke chapter 10. Here we go. Verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed them into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, don't you care? Anybody say that this week? Ah, don't you care? And my sisters left me to serve you alone. Tell her then to help me. Verse 41. But the Lord answered. By the way, I used to read this. <laughs> the Lord answered, Martha! Martha! Is that what we find? He's not yelling at her. He's not rebuking her. Like some of you think God is doing to you. He's actually going, Martha. Martha. You're anxious and worried about so many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen that which is better. And it will not be taken away from her. This story is common. This story is mundane. I know, supernatural, walking on water. It's mundane. It's common. It's about everyday things like cooking, cleaning, hosting, eating. Anybody do any of that? It's about everyday things. But check this out. Because of decisions made, 
in the everyday little things, one person becomes great. And we're still talking about her 2,000 years later. It's not. I'm 45 years old, going to be 46 in about a month or so. I used to think in my 20s that it's the big cataclysmic seismic events, you know, that happened two, three times in your life that shaped before me. You know what I'm realizing? You know who I am today? I am a product of every single day small decisions that I made over the last 20, 25 years of my life. Let me say that again. The big seismic cataclysmic events, your death and divorce, and nada, those are too seldom to make you who you are. You know who you're going to be 10, 20 years from now? It's the decision that you make and what you do about them when you wake up tomorrow and you have a million things coming at you. Are you hearing me? Who you're going to be 5, 10 years from now, or 20, 30-something person, and by the way, those in us 50s, 60s, 70s, you're sitting there going, yeah. Who you and I are today are decisions that you and I are going to make every single day at the million little things that's going to grab your attention, like eating, exercising, working, taking a break, where I want those decisions. And you sit there and go, well, I don't even think about that. I just blow through. No, every single little day decisions. And here's what's happening. Martha, Martha is just swept along by the million things that come at her. She wakes up and the million things come at her. It's like a stream. She's carried along by them. Wherever. Mary, imagine the stream, has put her feet at the bottom of the stream. And she's anchored. And she's saying, I'm not going to just go with the stream and the flow of everything that's coming for my attention. I am going to do the countercultural thing of saying, I'm going to go the way I want to go, not the way that the stream tells me to go. So all of a sudden, right away, we're faced with questions like this. Do you control your schedule or does your con- schedule control you? We're faced with questions immediately like this. When you wake up tomorrow morning, what is the loudest voice in your head that you're going to listen to? We're faced with questions like, who defines you? We're faced with questions like, how do you go about deciding to do what it is that you do? About the million things, small little things, insignificant things that come rush at you. You know, stuff that you don't even give a second thought about. You know, kind of stuff. Or by 10 o'clock, by 10 o'clock, you've already made decisions and done things that's shaping you for the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Let's look deeper into this text, okay? And then, and then we'll just kind of make some applications. Actually, I'm not going to make, I'm not going to ask you a bunch of really, really hard questions at the end and just leave you with them. Because, you know, that's what I like to do. Okay, verse 38. Now, as they went on their journey, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. To sit at the Lord's feet, if you're taking notes, is a technical term. Literally, that said to become a disciple of a rabbi. Okay? To sit at someone's feet. Disciple of a rabbi. It was unheard of for rabbis to take women as disciples. Unheard of. But Jesus does. All the men in the house are saying, she needs to get back in the kitchen. Jesus goes, no, she doesn't. She's actually right where she needs to be. Isn't that beautiful? 
I could talk. It's a whole sermon, but let me keep going. And she sat at Louis' feet, and she listened to his teaching. Now, pay attention. <laughs> Listen. Listen, that learn in Greek literally carries the idea of a deliberate, focused, extended activity. Listen. Deliberate, focused, extended. The picture of Mary is one in which, in the midst of all the chaos and the million things that are coming rushing at her, she is engaged in a, I'm going to say these words a lot throughout the rest of the day, an intentional, uninterrupted, unhurried time with Jesus. Mary is engaging in an intentional, uninterrupted, unhurried time with Jesus. Two postures that have made all the difference. Mary is busy listening to Jesus. Martha is busy telling Jesus what to do. Mary is busy listening to Jesus. Martha is really busy telling Jesus what to do. Somebody noted that the word silent and listen have the same letters. Here's a sermon point I want you to chew on. You cannot hear the voice of God without listening, and you cannot listen without being silent. You cannot hear the voice of God without listening, and you cannot listen without being silent. Let me just say this over here. If silence and solitude are foreign words to you in your spiritual disciplines, you will not grow in your relationship with Jesus. Let me say that again. If silence and solitude are not two things that you are regularly engaged in, I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how many times you've read the Bible. I don't care how many areas of ministry you're serving in. I don't even care how tight your community is. If silence and solitude are not two disciplines that are ingrained in your spiritual life, you will hit a ceiling in your relationship with Jesus. Do you know how often this theme is woven throughout Scripture? Let me just show you a couple, okay? Uh, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20. But the Lord, it is in the holy temple. Let the earth be what? Silent before him. And of course, one of my favorite verses, you guys have, you guys have probably heard this. It's Psalm 46, 10. Say this together. Be still and know that I am God. The psalmist is saying, you cannot know God without being still. Silence and solitude. And of course, you see the example of Jesus, and it's, it's, there's so many, I could only find two or three that I have time for. Mark chapter 1, 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke five sixteen. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And one of my favorite and most One of the most critical verses in all of Scripture, Luke chapter 6, verse 12, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night 
praying to God. Why? Why is he doing that? Look at what he does the next morning. When the morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. So here's Jesus the night before he is to make the most important decision in his life. And what does he do? Silence and solitude. It is amazing to me. Been a pastor for, it is amazing to me how often I'll talk to a follower of Jesus who has incredibly important decisions to make and I will ask them, have you spent time praying about it? And I'll say, "Mm, no. The night before he used to choose the 12 men that will change the world, the thing that Jesus does is, I need to hear from God, my Father. The question isn't, does God speak? God is speaking all the time. He created communication. He is the best communicator in the world. The question is, are you listening? Here's what I mean. Are you engaged? What we're listening is, are you engaged in an intentional, unhurried, uninterrupted time? Psalm 119, verse 30. The unfolding of your words give light. It gives understanding to the simple. Do you know why I've meditated on the verse over and over again? That's literally saying that the word of God unfolds. Think about that imagery. The word of God unfolds. You don't get it right away. It is almost never that you go, I need a word. I need you to speak. Yes, Lord. Almost never does God speak like that. What the Bible says is here's how God's light comes to you. You sit and over a long extended period, it unfolds. It unfolds. It unfolds. It unfolds. There is a reason why the Bible seems shallow and foreign to some of us. It unfolds. Get it right away. You guys, are you taking time for intentional unrushed? (laughs) It's so odd for me to preach this because all of us are getting restless. (laughs) And I'm here, I'm talking about unrushed. And there's something like really foreign and weird about like unrushed. Uninter- you're just like, mm, I got things to do. No, 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 no. I'm feeling that in my soul even as I preach this. Practically, here's just every, there's a reason why, there's a reason why, there's a reason why your New Year's resolution to read the Bible or spend more time in the Word will fail. It's already failed. Do you know why? Because every resolution successful is a renunciation. What do I mean by that? You can't add to your maddening schedule more time without subtracting something. This is common sense. 
You can't sit there and go, I'm convicted by this sermon. I'm going to add that to my list. If that's you, two weeks from now, you're right back to your habit of spending zero time or two minutes, I'm done. Because this can only happen when you take a hard look at your life and go, what is it in my life that needs to go? There's a reason why our resolutions don't work, particularly this morning. Maybe it's 15 of the, oh, I don't know, two hours you and I spend mindlessly scrolling through our Facebook statuses. Yeah, I'm going to be in your grill today. Do you realize how much time some of you literally mindlessly are scrolling through Facebook? Could it be that time? Uh, could it be for some of us, maybe 15 minutes, I'm just 15, two hours, 15 minutes at a time, some of us singles spend playing video games or watching TV mindlessly. Oh, this is hard. For some of us, could it be, could it be some of the time we spend with other people because, you know, in the name of community, I need to be with people when in fact it's really your fear of being alone. You cannot do this unless you courageously go, that's got to go, that's got to go, that's got to go. Are you doing that this year? Or is this, I've got to add that to that list. Yep, that's a good sermon. Yep, yep, I need to do that. Every successful resolution is a renunciation. You cannot spend time listening and be on Facebook for two hours, and listen to Serial, and catch up on the last five seasons of The Walking Dead. You can't. Can I get an amen? What's going to go this year? Now, what was the result of Mary and her intentional, uninterrupted, unhurried time with Jesus? This is so beautiful. But in John chapter 12, this is so beautiful. In John chapter 12, this is the same Mary that pours the perfume and anoints the feet of Jesus. Now, here's the incredible thing about the passage. Nobody in that room has a clue that Jesus is about to die soon. The only two people in that entire room that know that Jesus' days are numbered is Jesus and this Mary. The disciples have been with Jesus for three years. Said over and over again, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. They're clued, what, what? Mary is the only one in that entire room that knows he's going to die soon. Why? She sat and what? You know what the result of that was? Jesus says the most powerful thing in Mark chapter 14, verse 7, 9. He says, truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Here's a sermon point. Greatness comes when we acknowledge and embrace our limitations. You will not. This will be an interesting sermon if you walk out of here and continue to believe this lie that you can do it all. You can't do it all. You can't do it all. And I, I'm going to be honest. Can we just be honest and admit that maybe, maybe the reason why we continue to believe that we can do it all is because deep down inside somewhere, we think that we can do God's job better than he can. 
Can we maybe admit, some of us, that the reason why we can't leave our work undone, we don't put limitations around us, is because we actually go, God, I don't know if I can trust you with this, so I'm going to burn myself out, but I'm going to cover all the bases. It is an act of faith to leave some things undone, because it's acknowledging that a wise, loving, sovereign God is in control, and he's got you. And he does a better job of your deal when you're sleeping and you're out of his way. I'm preaching to myself this morning. Is anybody hearing me? Understand that the reason why you don't have limitations, it's not because you're type A person. You like to do stuff deep down inside. You don't trust God. And you need to do it all. It is an act of faith to leave some things undone because you're acknowledging your God, I'm not. It is an act of faith to renounce things and say, that's got to go, that's got to go, that's got to go, because at the end of the day, it's loudly declaring with your life, God, you are enough for me. You are my life. You're my bread. You're my water. But we're more like Martha than we're like Mary. So you and I are swimming in mediocrity. Back to Mary for a second, okay? Just give me two minutes and then we've got to move on. To sit at somebody's feet. To sit at someone, not just becoming a disciple of Rabbi, but to sit at someone's feet also inherently, inherently carried with it the sense that you were under that person's authority. Whenever you see that phrase in the Bible, to sit at someone's authority, it meant to submit to their authority, to sit at someone's feet, to submit to authority. For example, in the book of Acts chapter 5, it says people sold the money that they had for the land, and then they put it at the apostles' feet. What did that mean? They were basically saying the apostles have the authority to do what they want with this money in accordance with what God calls them to. To sit at someone's feet was to submit to their authority. Real quick, two minutes and then move on. Mary doesn't just listen to the word. What does she do? She what? She what? Say it with me. She submits to the authority of Jesus' words. Mary doesn't just listen. She submits to the authority of Jesus' words. Why is this important? Oh, I wish I had more time to talk about this. But again, you and I live in a culture where what Mary does is so foreign. Because here's what she says. Mary's literally saying, God, I'm going to sit at your feet, Jesus. And, there, and that means that there's things that, certain things that you say that I might not like, but I'm going to submit to them. There are certain things that you say that I just don't understand, but I'm going to try and understand them. There are certain things you say that I just, I just can't agree with, but I am going to accept them. To submit to the authority of Jesus' words for Mary meant I'm going to make myself subservient to the authority of your word rather than making your word subservient to my authority. Now, why is this important? I don't have time this morning to talk about why our culture, why you and me, many of us in this room are like, Bible, you know, God's word, maybe, maybe not. I'll tell you, without going into all that stuff because of many of us and skeptical authority, let me just say this in the context today. Submitting to the authority of God's word is absolutely critical for intimacy. Submitting to the authority of God's word is absolutely critical for intimacy. Here's, let me show you why. 
Because if you're someone sits there going, there are things about the Bible I don't like, so I'm just not gonna, I'm just not gonna accept it. There are things about the Bible I just disagree with, so I'm just gonna bah, poop on that. There are certain things that I have trouble with, so you know that's gotta go. If that is your approach, you can never have a personal relationship with God. Why? Because what you're essentially saying to God is, God, you can never challenge me. You can never contradict me. You can never confront me. You can never tell me things that I don't like. Question, whoever heard of a personal relationship with somebody where they couldn't challenge you, contradict you, confront you, tell you things you don't like? They're going, well, I have that relationship with this person. That person's not a real person then. For whatever reason, they are hiding who they truly are. Do you realize what you and I are doing? We say, God, I like that. I don't like that. I'm going to go. You're basically saying, I'm going to create you into an image that's palatable to me. If you do that, that God could never change you. Why? Because he's the product of you. What are you doing about the authority of God's word? Forget about what pastor preaches. I'm talking about just read the word for itself. And if you read the Bible and your pastor's one of, oh, I don't like that. Okay, I'll wrestle with it. Oh, I don't, I disagree with that. One, that might be a sign that you actually have a living relationship with Jesus. And number two, it might be the route to intimacy. Because if you go, I don't like that, that's out. I don't like that, that's out. I don't like You're conforming and turning Jesus into your image. And that Jesus will never change you. Resist the temptation to customize Jesus and parts of the Bible that fit with you. Oh, good Lord. I I told you, I didn't want to step into this today, but it looks like I just did. Resist the temptation. Why, why, why? I am telling you, a God of your own making will never change you. Resist, resist like all of us do. I like that, I like that, I like that, I like that. There's a Jesus that's palatable to me. Instead, go, I don't like that, I'm going to wrestle with that. I don't agree with that, I'm going to wrestle with that. I, oh, I really struggle with that. I'm going to wrestle with that. Verse 40, let's go on. But Martha was distracted with much serving the word distracted literally means to be pulled from all different directions. Anybody know what that feels like? Anybody know what that feels like? Can we all be honest? The forces that pull us and push us and pull us and push us, they're not external forces, are they? They're what? And that stuff out there is stuff where? In here. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me? That's important. I'm going to come back to that. She's left me to serve alone. Tell her then to help me. Listen to this. What Martha is even admitting is what is Mary doing? Mary was serving. She's left me to serve alone. She was working. Mary has not been inactive. See, a lot of people preach on this and go, be like Mary. Sit there and pray. Be contemplative. Don't be like Martha. Work, work, work. That's not the picture. Don't create this dichotomy like Mary. Oh, Jesus. And Martha's busy, busy. The picture is one in which they're both working. Difference. Mary knew when to stop. Martha didn't. Mary knew when to leave things undone. Martha didn't. 
Mary knew when to slow down, slow down, slow down. Martha didn't. Why? Maybe this is the entire sermon right here. The one overwhelming, overriding, ultimate priority that Mary, on a daily basis, said yes to was who? Was who, church? If you are somebody sitting here going, when I get all that stuff done, then I'll get to Jesus, you will never get to Jesus. Can I say that again? If you're sitting here going, when I get all the stuff done, the million things that come my way done, then I'll get to Jesus. You will never. You know this to be true. Why y'all looking at me like, oh, what are you talking about? That's what... Is this true for you? When you go, when I get all this stuff done, I'll get to Jesus. You never get to Jesus. Sermon point. You cannot... You cannot learn to prioritize your life by just trying to say no. You're going to have to find an ultimate overriding desire and priority to say yes to. Henry Nouwen, my hero, read all of his books. Henry Nouwen said this quote that's plastered on my desk. Listen to what he said. I cannot fight the demons of busyness directly. I cannot continuously say no to this, no to that, unless there is something 10 times more attractive to choose. The hope then is to find something so obviously real and attractive that I can devote all my energies to saying yes to. If you do not, first thing, say yes, you, Jesus. Then I'll get to and your posture is one of, after I do all these, then I'll get to, you will never be able to say no enough. I have to go on, move on, verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. Again, it's not Martha. It's Martha, Martha. And you go, how do you know that, Peter? Well, the doubling in Semitic language meant intensification, right? Magnification. And when someone doubled someone's name, it was intense emotion. You never see someone doubling something in the New Testament without weeping. Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. What's he doing? He's crying. And the most famous one, on the cross, he says what? My God, my God. So when he says, Mary, Mary, he's counseling her out of what? Deep love and compassion. Oh, Martha's out there. Martha is, he loves you. He loves you. He's sitting there going, man, I don't want to be here right now. And by the way, you're looking down the whole time. It's a dead giveaway, so look up if you want to kind of like, oh, not give. He loves you. He loves you, Peter. I'm talking to myself. (laughs) Peter, he loves you. Really? He loves me? Yeah. And when he counsels you, Peter, it's not, Peter, go! Like your parents, you know. Oh boy, I stepped into another mud, which we'll get to in emotionally healthy spirituality when we talk about family of origin and all that stuff. But anyway, I can't tell you how much Jesus loves Martha. Is that encouraging to anybody, by the way? 
Is that a He sees you. He knows you. He hears your voice, child of God. Oh, Martha, 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 Martha. You're anxious though, and you're troubled about many things. Again, I love biblical language because the word troubled is this picture of a capsized boat that's not able to power itself. So it's being pushed over here by the waves. It's pushed over here by the waves. Martha lacks an anchor. Martha lacks a gravitational center. So she's being swept along. You know what the irony is? Bridget said, what's the irony, Peter? Here's the irony, Bridget. The irony is if you looked at Martha on the outside, she looks like she's in total control. She's type A. She's usually telling other people what to do. (laughs) She's all going, you do that, you do that, you do that. Total control. But the irony is, it could not be further from truth. Martha doesn't have an anchor. She doesn't have a center. She's not in control. She is completely controlled by something else, by someone else. What I call emotional non-negotiables. Problem is Martha has like 30 emotional non-negotiables. You ever meet someone? They're all important. They all have to be done. Like right now. Who says? I say exactly. Yeah, you say. You see the irony? Here's the other thing too. Martha (laughs) is a workaholic. I'm in control. No, you're not. No, you're not. She's completely, she has absolutely no idea of a contemplative center. She has no idea what, when you go, do you contemplate? (laughs) Contemplate what? Give me a list of things to contemplate. That's what they say. Do you contemplate? No, no, just sit. Just contemplate. She has a completely undisciplined life. Her schedule is thick to the mess. She has a hard time saying no. And she's irritable inside. She's very touchy. She's very touchy, very irritable. If you're laughing throughout all this, just a dead giveaway, so Amy. <laughs> she's incredibly real touchy. And, and she's anxious. The word anxious, right? The same word Jesus used in Matthew chapter 6 when he says, do not be anxious about anything but in all things. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. Why? Because if Jesus is your center, you will never be anxious. But if your career is your center, your relationship is your center, people's approval of you is your center, what they think of you is your center, your parents are your center, with anything happens at all, to that, you have no, say it with me, center. You think it's just accidental? You're sitting there and I'm so anxious, I'm so worried. What is your center? Because deep down the side, if that sucker goes, deep down you're going, who am I then? What am I? Do you know how stressful that is? Verse 42, I got to finish here. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen that which is, say it with me. And I'll tell you why that's important in a minute. And it will not be taken away from her. Do you know, realize, if you look at it, there's two times the word serving. Serving is mentioned. Serving. Two times the word serving. It's the word diakonia, from which we get the word deacon. It means to serve ministry. It's the same word Jesus uses in Mark. 
when he says, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Now, check this out. Check this out. Check this out. Here's the irony. Martha's going, Jesus, tell Mary to serve you. I'm serving you. She's not. Tell Mary to serve you. And what's Jesus' answer? Mary is serving me. I know. You're saying, but she's not doing anything. But she's not. Which is the reason why we miss this entire passage. Jesus is saying, what? You, you think what you're doing is serving and what Mary is doing is not serving. Jesus says, actually, he doesn't just even say she's serving. He says, what she has chosen is what? Say it. Better. Better. Holy cow. Revolution paradigm shifting. Here, many of us are serving Jesus. And yet, could it be that the one thing that Jesus wants, one thing, the serving that he wants is what? Sit at my feet and listen. Did it ever cross your mind that that is serving Jesus? Did it ever cross your mind? Now, the context, I know you're saying about whatever. The context is this. The context is like this. Jesus knows he only has a few days left before he's to be crucified. What do you think Jesus wants more than anything before a few days he is going to be crucified? He wants the intimate fellowship of his friends. Not a seven-course meal. And Mary's going, your time is limited here. I don't know how much time I have with you. So it is going to be better for me to be with you than to work for Irony, Martha is serving Jesus, listen, but she is totally missing Jesus. Martha is busy in her doing, but her doing is completely divorced from her love for Jesus. Child of God, why do you do what you do? You do it for Jesus? Really? Be honest. I'm not saying you're not. I'm just saying be honest. Are you really doing it for Jesus? Because what he might be saying is, if you really love me, then come sit at my feet. Ramifications is huge because, as you and I know, work for Jesus that does not flow from life with Jesus inevitably leads to burnout because you cannot give what you don't have. You cannot give what you don't have. For the next 30 seconds, this might be the most important thing that some of you will hear for the rest of the year. If you give something that you do not possess, you are giving a false and dangerous gift that on the outside looks like love, but in reality is loveless. Why? Because if you give something you do not possess, you are really giving out of your need to prove yourself to yourself and other people than for the benefit of the other person. Most people think that burnout is giving too much. Burnout doesn't result from giving too much. Burnout results from trying to give what you don't have, which is the ultimate in giving too little. Burnout is a state of emptiness, but it doesn't result from giving all you have. Burnout just reveals the nothingness from which you were trying to give in the first place. 
question. Whenever I see myself and other people, I'm burnt out, I'm burnt out. My question to them is, if you're trying to give from nothing, is that loving? Is that loving? See, if you'd grab Mary and you asked her, Mary, who are you doing this for? Her answer would have been what? If I were to grab you right now and go, who are you doing this for? Your answer would be what? But Jesus knows better. You know better. I know better. How do you know if you're Martha? I'm almost done here. Sermon point. God will often use unanswered prayer to show us we're not doing it for Jesus. Can I get an amen? Really? Because <laughs> what's Martha's prayer? Tell her to help me. Jesus answered, no. <laughs> Are you praying for something lately? No, be serious now. Because this is very, very painful for some of us that have been praying for a long time. I need you to be very, very rigorously honest. Have you been praying for something? And are you irritated, anxious, ticked off that Jesus has answered your prayer? Could it be? Could it be? It's because he loves you. What's Martha's prayer request? Here's Martha's prayer request. I am a workaholic. I have no time to play the center. My life is completely out of control. I'm about to fall apart and I'm going to blow up other relationships. So Jesus, can you help me right along? Will you aid me in my, you know, journey? That's her prayer request. Just like some of you. Just like some of me. Our prayer request right now is I'm a workaholic. I'm undisciplined. I have no contemplation center. I'm doing it for myself. I'm doing it for insecurity reasons. Jesus, can you help me? Will you answer this prayer? What would a loving person do? Loving person says, no, I want your pots to boil over. No, I want that cake to burn. Why? Because. Because if you take your doing and you squeeze Jesus out, what you're saying is that activity is your Savior, that ministry is your Savior, that job is your Savior, that relationship is your Savior. And Jesus, as long as that is your Savior and your center, you will never rest in me. He will not answer our prayers because he wants to learn true prayer. He's wise. He's loving. He's sovereign. Some of us are there going, I want a rattlesnake. <laughs> I'm not going to give you a rattlesnake. <laughs> and we accuse him of being unloving and go, that's not fair. Here's the, you've heard me say this before. This is my translation, Romans 8, 28. Ready? Jesus will always give you everything you ask for if you knew everything Jesus knew. Say this with me, church. Jesus will always give you exactly what you would have asked for if you knew everything Jesus knows. So I'm going to end with three questions and then I'm done. Number one, why are you so busy? Okay, let me, let me help with that. It could be because, it could be. I'm just saying, it could be because some of us are saying, if I don't do as much as I possibly can, I'll never make it in life. What's it? What's it? What is it? 
That's a perfect sermon illustration right there. I'm not picking on anybody. I have a, I have a funky uh, ringtone as well. Second, here's why you're so busy. Some of us, if I don't do as much as I possibly can, I'm going to fall behind. Behind what? Behind who? Here's another some of us. If I don't do as much as I possibly can, I won't be successful. Oh, good God. Next one. If I don't do as much as I possibly can, I won't be accepted. I won't be acceptable. Next one. If I don't want to talk about that again, I will disappoint someone who By the way, all these questions, we're going to answer them during the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Sermon Series. So come back. If you don't, you're never going to find out for the rest of your life. You'll be lost. <laughs> it's much cheaper than going to see a counselor or therapist. Come on now. Not that counselor or therapist. You know, I go to one myself, and they're very helpful. But I'm just saying. Anyway, um, last one. If I don't do as much as I possibly can, I won't measure up. Oh, you guys. Do you know how much your pastor struggles with this? All of these things are saying, all of these things, I didn't just pull them out of somewhere, read a book. These are things I say to myself. (laughs) You sit there going, holy Kaita, you're reading my mind. No, I'm not reading your mind. I'm just telling you what I think. You live in a culture that's brainwashed into thinking that you are ultimately what you do. You are not what you do. Jesus tells you who you are. The essence of the gospel says your worth is not what you do. Our worth is found in the fact that the Son of God came down, died for our sins. And when we believe in him, his righteousness is a perfect work. is granted to us as a gift. And God sees us as I define who you are, not the world. Are you taking that into your heart every day? Of course not. I don't. Jesus is a great manager of people. He will never give you 10 things to do if he could only do three. So if you have more things to do in your life than you could possibly do, he didn't give that to you, child. You did. You gave that to you. He didn't give that to you. Second question. Has activity taken priority over people in your life? The funny thing is, dads, husbands, Who's in there going, but I'm doing it for you. They're like, but spend time. No, I'm doing it for you. The very same people that we're supposed to be doing it for are the very same people that are saying, I don't know who you are anymore. Is your to-doing completely obliterating the very same people that you're supposed to be to-doing this for? Third question, are you irritable, touchy, anxious? See, Mary. Okay, we'll move on. Oh, see, Martha. I'm sorry. See, Martha. Number four, how's your prayer life? See, see. How's your prayer life? Here's what I mean. Some of us don't have a prayer life. We don't. Can we just admit it? Can we just admit it? Admit right now. In order to grow change, you have to be regular. You need to sit there and go, I do not have a prayer life. And no. <laughs> Help. That's a prayer, but that's not a prayer life. <laughs> Do you have times for silence and solitude? 
Be rigorously honest. If you are sitting here like 90% of us right now going, I don't. Start there. I do not have a prayer life. And I need to let other people know I do not have a prayer life. Secondly, if you do have a prayer life, what is your posture? Are you listening or are you telling? Look at your prayer request. Is it a list? Do you ever just go into prayer just to listen? I've got no agenda. I just want to be with. What about when you read scriptures? Is it for my daily food so that I can kind of, you know, get this answer solved? Or is it just sometimes just to go, I'm going to let your word unfold. I'm just going to say, speak to me. Read, unfold, read, chew, meditate, read, chew, meditate. And after like five days of chewing, meditating, you come back and go, whoa, I didn't see that before. That happens. How's your prayer life? See, here's the, I'm over here. I spent way time over there. There are Martha's and Mary's. You're sitting next to each other right now. But on the outside, you can't tell. But you know. You know. What are you going to do about it this year? See, see, this year, I'm going to say this phrase over and over again. We don't need any more discussions on truth. New community, you thrive on information. But the word of God says in James, what use is it to merely listen to the word? It says what? Do what it says. Is this going to be one of the, well, that was an interesting sermon over lunch. Are you Martha? No, I'm like Mary. Blah, 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 blah. And we go home and nothing changes. Or are you going to do something? Here's my gift to you and me this morning. Is I'm going to give you gift this morning for time of silence and solitude that some of you haven't had in days and weeks and months. Can I, can I do that? Can I give that as a gift to you? Second Sunday of the new year. And just listen to Jesus. Practically. You all get those green cards. Here's what I want you to do. After a moment, I'm not, not long, about a minute or two. <laughs> I've been praying all this week. God, I'm going to give him two minutes. So you got to speak in those two minutes, okay? Um, you need to just sit and for a couple minutes, a couple minutes, listen, just a couple minutes. If nothing comes, that's totally fine because God will go, those are the best two minutes you and I have had in a long time. Some of us, God will say something. I want you to get in the habit. I do this. I have a prayer journal. Jot it down on the green card. Just jot it down. Say, you could if you want. If it's a prayer request, drop it in the offering bag when we collect it. You could write your name, you know. But we'll pray over every single one of these prayer requests that you may have. But I need you to physically, hand, don't do it on your phone, pen, paper, write what you hear God saying. You can keep it to yourself or you could, like I said, drop an offering back. Is that clear? Is that, is that clear? Okay. See, see? So I'm just going to pray and then total silence and then I'll pray for offering and we'll worship. Okay. Pray with me. Be still. And know that He is God. Be still. And know that He is God. Be
Angst. hear anything, you sense anything, feel any prompting, write it down. Pen, paper, write it down. Quietness of your heart, write it down. You can share it with all of us on staff as we pray every week by dropping off. Or you could just simply take that, put it in your Bible or wherever. But take this down. Be still and know that He is God. Be still and know that He is God. Be still and know that He is God. Father, I specifically just want to pray for those of us who know deep in our heart of hearts that our lives are not centered. It's out of control. Tossed here and there by demands, expectations, approval, acceptance, worth, identity of other things and other people. We can't say no. We can't slow down. We don't know how to stop. We desperately acknowledge and confess our need that Holy Spirit, we need your help. Holy Spirit, we need your help. 